Thank you, worship team. The children can be dismissed for Children's Church at this time. Redeeming love shall be my theme, and shall be till I die. What a great line. Uh, that's the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, which is what we're going to look at this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul has one message. It's Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. Uh, Billy Graham said uh, at the end of his life, he said, I have only one message that God is willing to forgive you through Jesus Christ if you turn to him in faith and repentance. That's the message of the church, redeeming love. We have a Savior who bought and paid the price for us. Lord, we commit this time to you now. Please speak to us through your word as we uh, look into it and guide us by your Holy Spirit. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a Sam Cooke song that says, Oh, my baby's coming home tomorrow. Ain't that good news? Man, ain't that news. Baby's coming home tomorrow. Ain't that good news? Ain't that news? I got a letter just the other day telling me she was on her way, and she want me to meet her at the station. Ain't that news? Man, ain't that good news. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to the sentiment. Uh, there was someone that you were eager to meet uh, at some point, to get back together with them. And it was, you were going to get together, and that was good news. You were looking forward to it. Uh, the Apostle Paul could have been humming this tune. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he knows he's at the end of his life, but he knows he's about to meet the Lord. And for him, that's good news. Man, that's good news. Uh, 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. It is a very personal letter to his understudy, his son in the faith, Timothy. In this letter, Paul is telling Timothy to, to, re, to remember what has been entrusted to him. He's encouraging him to, to guard the treasure that's been in, uh, in, uh, entrusted to him inside of him. He's calling him to suffer hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And he said that you observe my example and that you were actually a partaker of it as well. Uh, throughout 2 Timothy, he mentions the word or teach or preach. He's talking about a message here in 2 Timothy. Uh, it's the message that Jesus Christ died and rose again on our behalf. And he's telling Timothy to retain that. And then he says there's a time coming when people will not listen to this message They'll want to turn to other things. They'll want to have their ears tickled. And Paul will say, don't worry, preach the message anyways. And that's where we end up in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want us to look at verses 6 through the end of the chapter, actually. I'll read verses 6 through 8 of, of 2 Timothy 4. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is looking forward to 
being with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's carried out his duty as an apostle, and now he's at the end of his life. He knows he's about to be beheaded. He knows he's about to be executed for his uh, preaching of the gospel. He's been imprisoned once, was released. Now at the end of his life, this is his second imprisonment, and he's about to be executed in a very passionate, I mean the crescendo of the book is chapter 4. When Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Jesus is the judge. He's coming. His appearing, he will return someday. Jesus will establish his kingdom. Then Paul says this to Timothy, preach the word. Proclaim it. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Again, here's the exhortation, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, preach the word. Even if no one listens, Timothy, preach the word. And then he transitions, he talks about himself. This was his call to Timothy, now Paul's talking about himself. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of his departure is at hand. Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is not saying, woe is me, I'm about to be executed. I've been faithful to the Lord, and what do I get in return? I get executed. Mm-mm. That's not the tenor of this passage. Paul is looking forward to being with the Lord. To, be, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's about to enter into that gain. Man, ain't that good news. Um, a drink offering uh, from Leviticus. Leviticus uh, 23, 10 through 14 where they had the, uh, uh, the first fruits and the grain offering. And the drink offering was basically two pints of wine, approximately. And it was just poured on the grain. And it was an offering of joy. Not sorrow. An offering of joy. It's poured out. Poured out to the grain offering. And Paul's saying, I am a drink offering that has been poured, that is being poured out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's joyfully giving his life. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And he's looking forward to the the time of his departure, not necessarily the process, I believe, but to meeting the Lord. Let me ask you this. Do you love the Lord? Are you looking forward to the Lord's appearing? Um, Does it cross your mind? You've heard the expression, he is so heavenly minded that he is of no earthly good. And I think that really um, reflects people who are earthly minded, who give the appearance of being religious so that they will get the praise and approval of others. And actually that's an earthly minded person, but the heavenly minded person is focused on eternity and, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ 
And those who are most heavenly-minded are those who are of most use in this world. C.S. Lewis said, those who think of heaven most are those who have done the most to help others in this life. And then he continues on, he says, aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. We need to have an eternal perspective. We will all die someday. I know that's not news to you, but we will all die and be with the Lord someday. What is the Lord calling us to? First of all, faithful to the Word. Uh, Given the context that we have, the personal ministry that we have, He calls us to preach the Word, to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to hang on to it, to hope in it, to believe in it. He calls us to be ready, be anticipating the Lord's return, looking forward to it. Uh, If people seem resistant or apathetic, he tells Timothy, preach the word anyway. If people are resistant to the word of God, preach it anyway. A number of years ago in Slovenia, I was preaching at the International Church of Ljubljana. It's a small church made up of people from all over the world. We normally have 11 to 12 different nationalities represented there. Summertime, August. August in Europe, people disappear. It's vacation time. It's like the continent closes down. Uh, Very few people in church on a Sunday evening in uh, Ljubljana in the month of August. Uh, I preached, and afterwards a gentleman came up to me from the back. He was a visitor, and he said, you spent some time preparing that message, didn't you? I said, yes. He said, "Uh, uh, you prepared it for these people here? There's only a few people. I said, yes. I said, it's not about the number of the people. It's about the message. It's about being faithful to get the message out. It's not about converts. It's not about success in ministry. It's about being obedient and faithful to the calling that God has given us. And God has given each of us a calling in the measure of faith we need to be responsible for. Preach the message. Be faithful to your ministry. Whatever it is that God has called you to, do it. We see in verse 6, Paul was about to die. The time of his departure has come, and then he has the three I haves in Verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Fought, finished, and kept. Um, When I was in elementary school, I have an older brother, he was in high school at the time, and one of his friends came over to the house and was visiting, and he had a car that he had just bought, and it was a 1966 Ford Mustang the first time I'd ever heard of the word Mustang and uh, that I'd ever seen a Mustang car, and I've kind of liked Ford Mustangs ever since. And so I went out to look at his car, flies all over it, uh, just buzzing, landing on it all over the place. And he said, well, he had been at the A&W restaurant and he bought a milkshake and he left it on the top of the car, and when he backed up to take off, the milkshake fell and spilled all over the hood of the car. And now there's flies that are attracted. It was his drink offering <laughs> to the flies. 
It was poured out just that quick, and it was a pleasant offering to the flies. Um, a few years ago at a conference in Europe for all the staff of Eastern Europe and Russia, um, we had a break in meetings, and I went downstairs to the coffee shop, and I got two coffees, two cappuccinos, and I got in the elevator. It was one for me, one for Jody, and I was in the elevator, and there on, in the elevator was this uh, older woman, and she was well-known. Her husband had been a pioneer missionary, very well-known individual, and so I recognized her immediately, and she uh, smelled the coffee. She said, oh, coffee, that smells really good. And I said, would you like one? Never, never did I think she would say yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have offered otherwise. <laughs> but she took, she took one of the coffees, and so now Jody didn't have a coffee. <laughs> uh, I did go downstairs and buy another coffee. But uh, um, we only have one life. We can't go buy, back and buy another life. It's one offering that we have. Uh, how we spend it, we only have one choice, one, one chance. Um, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Whether you know it or not, your life is a drink offering. Jesus says you are just a vapor. In the book of James, or James says, I'm sorry, it soon disappears. The question is, will it be an offering that's a pleasing sacrifice to the heart of God, which can actually echo for eternity, or will it be a sacrifice to the flies of this world, the temporal world? Paul says in 7, he's invested well. Can you say that? Can you say that about you? Are you currently investing your life well? Can you say, by the grace of God, I want to keep the faith. I want my life to be a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. So how do we live in such a way that the sum of our life ends up as a pleasant aroma to the Lord? Well, first of all, we need to focus on eternity. If we're focused on this world then we won't have the life that's pleasing to the Lord. We need to have the right focus. While sailing a sailboat, the bow needs to be pointed in the right direction. If it's a point of land, you need to have that as your point that you're sailing to. Or if it's a point on the compass, the Bible is the compass of God's Word. It points us in the direction of God's Word. That's why Paul is so adamant to Timothy in this book about the Word, about teaching, about preaching. Notice it's all about proclamation of a message, the theme that Paul, Paul's life. We need to have the compass of God's word. And the compass is focused on eternity. It's not focused on how to have a better life here. Although I do believe that living for Christ makes a difference in our lives here in this world. But the message is eternal life. That is the message. That's the deal. The issue of spiritual growth ultimately, is a love issue. It's a love issue. Christianity is a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If we love the Lord, we'll invest accordingly. 
He says in verse 8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is looking forward to meeting the Lord. He loves his appearing. And anyone who loves the Lord's appearing, there will be a crown of righteousness for them. Notice the reward is a crown of righteousness that he offers us. That Jesus is the one who gives it. And Jesus is the judge, not me. Not your spouse, not this church or any spiritual leader in this world. But Jesus is the judge. And he's the only one who can judge accordingly. He knows what we've been entrusted with, what we've been given, and he knows what we've done with it. And Jesus' judgment is right. He says the righteous judge. It's correct. Our judgment can be wrong or false. Jesus' judgment is correct. He will award it on that day, the day of his appearing. When we meet the Lord, whether we go to be him in death or he comes for us in the return of Christ, he will have the crown of righteousness for every person who loves his appearing. Every believer, everyone who truly knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is looking forward to that day. We look forward to meeting the Lord one day. Yes, there are static in this world and things that distract us, but we will look forward to Him. Uh, the reward is offered not just to the super holy, but it's to anyone who loves the Lord, who loves His appearing. Again, the question is, do you love the Lord? Uh, are you looking forward to His appearing? This is also a book of salvation. Paul says, preach the word to Timothy. Acts 10.43 says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It's believing in Jesus where you receive forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that the moment you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you're spiritually born again. You have new life. Why do I say this over and over again? Because churches are filled with people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And they're doing the religious thing but they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus who died and rose again on our behalf. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not sure, I'd love to talk with you more about how you can be certain that you have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way to have eternal life. Those who know Jesus as their Savior look forward to His appearing. We love His appearing. Why? Because we love the Lord. I don't always feel like I love the Lord. But the Bible says I do. Because I'm born again. The flesh doesn't, but the new life really does. That's who we are in Christ. We've been born again. We have this relationship. This is watershed. Do we love Jesus or do we love this world more? Uh, are you living in hope and expectation of the Lord's return or are your affections set on the things of this world? The Christian life is a battle for the affections. Uh, this world is an offering to the flies of material success, comfort, the applause of people, personal pride, uh, nationalistic or political sentiment, being cool, 
fitting in. In contrast, the believer is looking forward to the Lord's return. It's not about this world. I've been a part of church discipline a few times. It's not pleasant. Only once in Slovenia. And it was a missionary young woman, a missionary woman, who, as we say, went native. She adopted the mores and customs of the country she was trying to reach. As a result, living an immoral life. It's sad. It's disappointing. Um, when she was confronted, she said she loved Jesus and she loved her lifestyle as well. The question is, which did she love most? Uh, verse 10 says, Demas, a former disciple, having loved this present world, deserted me. She deserted for the world. The question is, again, the battle for the affection. The same is true for you and me. Luke 16, 13, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and immorality. You cannot serve God and sin. You cannot serve God and anything else. But God calls for a full and loyal devotion. He calls us to love him first and foremost, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. John 2.15, Jesus, uh, the Apostle John said, uh, said, Do not love the world, I'm, this must be First John, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't love the world. The world system, which is backed by Satan, the father of this uh, world, but... Uh, um, I love ice cream, and uh, in uh, Europe we have many. We had many friends from different places. English is their second language, and sometimes it would frustrate them when we Americans would say we love something, and because they learned English a lot of times from a book, and they don't realize that when we're saying I love something, we're saying I really, really like it. And so they say, you know, you use the word love, and it has really no meaning. And um, I, under I understand their point. We exaggerate a lot with the word love. Anyway, I love ice cream. <laughs> uh, is that wrong? Um, no, I don't. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We don't have to be caught up in rejecting everything from this world, but to enjoy the things that God has given us in this world as gifts from the Lord. Just don't let them replace our affections for the Lord. It is right and good to enjoy a good meal. God gave us taste buds and an appetite. Uh, God gave us the capacity to enjoy food. Gluttony, on the other hand, is a perversion of something that is perfectly good. Um, People look for satisfaction in the created thing rather than in the creator. Nature is intended to be the servant of God and to reveal much about the creator. But oftentimes people worship Gaia, the earth personified as a goddess daughter of chaos. Worshiping the creation rather than the creator. 
God invented the institution of marriage. It is intended to teach us something about the Godhead. It is never intended to be a substitute for relationship with God. The most loving thing I can do for my wife is to love the Lord God first. The most loving thing you can do for your spouse, and for your children, for your family, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God designed mankind for work, but not only can work become something that distracts us from God, but we can actually use our energy in acts of rebellion. Work is something good, but we can turn it into something bad. It's not rejecting everything, it's putting it in its proper perspective, proper place. Letting God have first in our affections. Continuing on in 2 Timothy, just a few thoughts to round, finish up the chapter. It's, uh, the world competes for our affections. Demas departed. Um, he loved the present world. He deserted him. Uh, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. That's our old stomping grounds. Beautiful place on the Adriatic Sea. Um, he says, only as Luke is with me, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Uh, that's Mark who left Paul, deserted Paul at the Taurus Mountains in Asia Minor. When the kitchen got too hot, there's difficulties, and people were rejecting. The pagans were rejecting the gospel. Um, Mark departed. And Paul says at the end of his life, bring, bring Mark. He's helpful. Um, Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Um, Mark is the excellent example. Uh, but Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. That's the word of God that Paul is asking for. Paul wanted to continue the study. He's at the end of his life. He's an old man. And he's about to be executed. Why would you want the word of God at that point? Why would Paul want the Bible still and to study, to meditate upon it, to read it? Um, just a couple observations. First, it's never too late. It's never too late to get into God's word, to, to uh, enjoy God's word, to make a priority of it. Also, um, God's word is like food. If you stop eating, it won't be long until you're unhealthy and you will die. You need God's word. And Paul was still feeding. As long as he was alive, he was still feeding on God's word. Excellent example for us of someone feeding on God's word to the end of his life. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Um, there is and will be aggressive opposition to Christ. That's part of the, the Christian life. Um, Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. There's difficulties for those who want to follow in Christ Jesus. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, if your focus is on the world and the persecution comes, you'll depart. If your focus is on eternity and on the Lord, 
when the persecution comes, it will make you stronger and make you a better person. Um, Galatians 4.29 says, The son of the bondwoman persecuted the son of the free woman, and so it is now. Uh, the legalist and religious will always persecute those who are free in Jesus Christ, those who are truly born again. That's just the way it is. Um, that's part of having an eternal perspective is taking that as part of the turf, part of the process. Continuing on, he says, Be on guard against him yourself. He vigorously opposed our teaching. Verse 16, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. At Paul's first defense, his first trial, no one. He's all alone. But he says, but the Lord was with me. There might be a time in your life when everyone deserts you, but Jesus will be with you. Um, the old Negro spiritual. Nobody knows the struggle I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Jesus knows what you've experienced. Jesus knows what you are currently experiencing, and Jesus knows what you will experience in the future. Nobody knows sometimes, but Jesus. But Jesus sees, he knows, and he cares. Jesus cares for you. Also, the Christian is invincible until God's work is finished for him. Uh, no one can take us prematurely. We are in God's hands. Uh, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is not saying I'm going to be rescued from the execution. He knows it's coming. But the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed uh, that matters. Ultimately, he will be with the Lord and no one, no one can take him out of Christ's hands. Jesus said, said uh, you are in my hands. No one can pull the fingers out. I am in the Father's hands. No one can pull his fingers apart. We are doubly secure in the Father and the Son and sealed by the Holy Spirit. No one can ever pluck us out of the Lord's hands. We will be with the Lord someday. Ain't that news? Ain't that good news? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that we will be with you someday, soon. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, may our focus be squarely fixed upon you uh, in that day of your appearing. May we be faithful in all you have for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we turn to a time of communion. Thank you, Don. I, um, just reflecting on the truth of what we've heard today um, about the witness. In communion, did you know that communion 
is actually also one of its features that it's meant to be a witness to the world. Uh, and you say, well, wait a minute, I thought communion is for the church. And you're right, right? Communion is for Christians, for people who have been saved by grace through faith. It's absolutely true. But when we take communion, we are actually in that moment making a witness to the world that says that uh, my works are not enough to earn me any favor with God. And I am in absolute need. And so when we come together to the table of communion, as a body of believers, we are declaring that we have been won by Christ, that the works are not our own, that, it was, that the, the, the work of Christ was full and final, and that we are resting in that, not in anything that we have done. So it is a witness to the world. And I also love that he brought up the fact that uh, not everybody that goes to church is actually a believer. Have you ever thought about that? An old pastor of mine used to say that just because you stand in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? So just because you are here today doesn't necessarily mean that you're a believer. It's funny how, how we, we end up thinking things like that. But if you're in that boat, here's the good news for you as well. That uh, it is not because it's the same message. It is not because of anything that you have done. Even this, this, uh, this blessed communion, which we will take together, uh, is not a way to earn any favor with us or with God. It is simply a way to declare your dependence on him. And so that's why we take communion. Now here at Grace, uh, we celebrate open communion. And so if you are a believer in Christ, we encourage you to uh, take the, uh, the bread and the cup of juice. Uh, the bread represents the broken body of Christ, the death that was supposed to be ours, the blood uh, the, the cup represents the blood that was shed that should have been ours, that paid sin in full. And so let's celebrate that together. You'll hear some music playing. Uh, we'll go the front rows first, and you can come up and, and work your way around this way and this way, and then uh, we'll take it together.
From 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is in the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you can, let's stand together and let's pray as we close our service. God, thank you so much for the death you died, for the blood that you spilled on our behalf, and that that fountain is one that gives us life in return. And so, God, I pray that we would live in a way that is a witness to the world of this reality of nothing that we earned, nothing in ourselves, but only you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.